Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you for your wonderful blessings. We praise you, Lord, for your desires, for your wants. For all of your desires and all of your wants are fulfilled. The word want means like we're waiting for something to be accomplished. That is so in some cases, Lord, but everything you want, everything you desire, shall be accomplished. And we praise you and thank you, Lord, that you have placed upon our hearts, you have re revealed your truths of your word to us, shining the light of truth in our hearts that you are sovereign in all things. You are the potter, we are the clay. That's what we'll be looking at in this morning's Bible study, Lord. We ask that you would bless us for your son's sake. Open our eyes and our minds to the words and the truths that we're about to see, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We continue in our studies of the book of Romans, chapter 9. And in our last study, the subject of the Lord's sovereignty was declared in the act of election. It says in verse 11 of chapter 9, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, people think that we've made up this thing called election. Those who feel that God died for everybody, and that he's wanting his people to come to him, that he desires not to lose any of mankind, mankind in whole. And that's not God's word at all. That's, not, that, that's people who take a piece of God's word and interpret it to their own destruction rather than taking it in the whole counsel of God. Paul said he was, he was not ashamed of the gospel and that he had presented the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God is from cover to cover of this book we call the scriptures. This book that God has given us, this love letter to his people, declaring that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, gave himself for a people that we would be with him for an eternity. They hate election. But yet our Lord says very clearly that these two children, speaking of Jacob and Esau, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that called. But we looked at that last week on how God chose Jacob and hated Esau. We who had been given an understanding of the truth of our sin, we see clearly the reasons for God hating Esau. Sin is an abomination to his righteousness. I know this. In my heart, that what I am is an abomination. What I am in this flesh is an abomination to my Creator. Amen. It's an abomination to His righteousness, it's an abomination to His holiness. Our Creator is so holy, He cannot even look upon sin. What's difficult to understand about what we read last week is how could He love? Sinful Jacob. But here's the hope I have in that. If he could love Jacob, maybe he could love me. 
the chief of sinners. Jacob, oh yeah, he did some things wrong, but I can tell you, I know what I've done in my life. You know what you've done in your life. You know what you do today. We're all the chief of sinners, aren't we? We look at Jacob and we say, God, how could you love Jacob? But better yet, Lord, how could you love me? I'm way worse than Jacob was. How could you love me? The religious man, the religions of man hate election. Election takes salvation out of the man's capabilities and, he, and it places it in the sovereign hands of God Almighty, where it truly is anyway. Salvation is of the Lord. After giving us a plain and clear picture of election, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to emphasize election. To emphasize that election is a clear character of the sovereignty of God. Look with me, if you would, at verses 19 through 23. Romans chapter 9. After telling us that the Lord would have mercy on whom he would have mercy, and how the Pharaoh was raised up for that, in verse 19, we read these words, Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? Why does God find fault with me if he's made me thus? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but oh man, listen to this answer. Oh, who are you to question God? Nay, but oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor? and another unto dishonor. You know, let's stop there for a moment before I read 22 and 23. Our God blesses you and I with this word grace to no end. Everything we read in Scripture about who our Savior is, everything we read in Scripture about what He's done, everything we read in Scripture about Him choosing a people and not leaving them to themselves, all points to our Lord's grace, his mercy to you and I. Everything we read, and these words we just read, hath not the potter power over the clay, the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Doesn't that just bless your heart with grace that we weren't left to ourselves to be a vessel of dishonor? We sure were walking that path at one time, weren't we? Just like everybody else is. Who maketh us to differ? Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ maketh us to differ. Verse 22. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering, suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? What if God loves us so much? Not only did he give his only begotten son, but he's long suffering with the vessels of wrath, waiting till that last day when the, the last one for whom the Father hath given him should come into this world and see and be given the light of God, Christ in his heart. Verse 23, and that he might make known. If you weren't a vessel of wrath, if you weren't walking as a vessel of wrath at one time, could you really truly understand 
the depth of God's grace. I mean, we don't understand the depth of it, that's for sure. But we get a little sprinkling idea, don't we? Knowing that we deserve the wrath of God, just as all men do, yet by his grace, he saved us. By his grace, and his grace alone, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. In these verses, the Apostle Paul gives us three distinct answers, answers to the objections of man for God's sovereign authority to choose whom he will. These answers will not satisfy the natural man, but they will be for, our, for every believer who receives the word of faith. They will be sufficient. Over in Romans chapter 9, verse 20, Paul says, Oh man, who are you to dispute with God? Who are you to question God's providence or hope to understand God's ways? God's ways are above our ways, folks. How can we understand the depth of God's ways? Who are you to, to dispute with God or to understand his ways? How foolish and arrogant for a finite creature to sit in judgment on God's mercy and his justice. The answer to why God does what he does is found in himself, not in our natural wisdom. Why? I was asked. I think it was in Friday Night Bible. So why, why do you think the Lord did what he did for us in giving himself? And I told the answer to this. And this is the answer that, that this is the only answer that man can give to a question about why does God do something? It's because it pleased him to do so. Didn't it blow your mind, Roger? Didn't it blow your mind that God was pleased to save you? Absolutely, brother. Me too. Me too. All of God's people are completely blown away by that. God was pleased to save me? Secondly, over in Romans chapter 9, verse 21, the word of power here denotes the right the privilege, or the authority. This is how God does what he does, by the power, by the right, by the privilege, and by the authority. God has a right to do with his own what he will. But it's more than that. God's power is always exercised in a way that is consistent with his righteousness and glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God. Even the wicked will glorify our Lord in the day of, in, of judgment. Therefore, God has the right to do what best serves his glory, does he not? And thirdly, in verse 22, God is determined to make known to the universe. Isn't that why he raised up Pharaoh? Isn't that what he says over there back in, in, in verse 17? Look at verse 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee uh, folks, you realize that God put Pharaoh on top of all the world at that time. All the world at that time looked to Pharaoh. In fact, he was so high up in mankind, he thought himself to be God. I know 
we do. But not in the sense that he did. He had all power of earth under his authority. Yet God says, I raised you up. Why? I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. He's determined to make known to this universe, to all that is in, make known that his wrath, of what his wrath against sin will be, and he'll make known the riches of his grace and glory in some. Isn't that why the world hated Israel? Isn't that why they looked to Israel and said, these folks, you know, let's, let's take them out when we can, when their God is not looking? Because God definitely was, was looking upon them and favoring them in the world at one time. That the riches of his grace and glory might be shined in the heart of his people. God had endured these vessels of wrath with much patience as he did the old world before the flood. Pharaoh, before he cut him off, and Sodom before it was destroyed. These unbelievers have light which they hate and the means of grace which they despise. The vessels of mercy receive his mercy, receive his love, receive his grace, and we know it for what it is. Not because we're any better or any wiser than others, not because we deserve it in any way, but because God chose to reveal his grace in us and to make us objects of his mercy from eternity past. Martin Luther wrote these words. He says, It is not wise for the novice to meddle in too much with divine purposes and mysteries. Nothing has a greater tendency to confound the understanding and to harden the heart than to take strong meat too early. Let us not talk of these matters too lightly. Hidden things belong to God. Things that are revealed belong to us. Touching the Almighty, we cannot find him out. But he, he, he is excellent in power, judgment, and grace. He will not afflict without cause. Let us rejoice that the great truth of divine grace is written in the word of God and revealed to us in Christ Jesus, Martin Luther. Now look at verse 24 through 28 of our text, Romans chapter 9, 24, we read this, Even as us whom, have, whom he hath called, not the Jews only, but also uh, the Gentiles, as he, hath, as he saith also in Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it is said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Now the promise of eternal life was not made to the natural seed of Abraham, but to the true seed of Abraham, Christ Jesus the Lord. And all who by grace are in him, whether Jew or Gentile, are the seed of David, are the children of promise, as we've read, as we've read already back in Romans chapter uh, 8, or at the beginning of uh, chapter 9. 
the calling of the Gentiles is prophesied throughout all the Old Testament. This prophecy is in Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. Listen to the words here. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that hath not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which are not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. The Jewish nation was, a typ was typically the spouse of God. But when the Christ shall come, he will reveal his true seed and call her beloved, which was not beloved, and, that's in the, and that is the Gentiles. Look over to Ephesians chapter 2. Hold your place in Romans. Look over at Hebrews real quick. I mean, I'm sorry, Ephesians. Chapter 2. Ephesians in chapter 2, we read over in verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye, being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision, by the which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of the promise. They had all the oracles of God. The, the Gentiles had nothing having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off of made nigh by the blood of Christ. So here we see that we're made nigh. We are made of, of Israel. We are joined with, with the, the Israel, the spiritual Israel of God through the blood of Christ. Though the descendants of Abraham number in the millions, only a small number are true of Israel. We know what we know in God's word. It says, not all Israel is of Israel. They thought that because their blood was from Abraham, that they were descendants from Abraham, that they were the people of God. And when the Messiah would come, they yet, yet when the Messiah came, they rejected him. Look over at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Verses 10 through 11. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Now here's where it's talking about Israel. And he came unto his own. He came unto the people of Israel. And his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So we see that the people of Israel rejected him, and then after hundreds of years of long-suffering, the, the, the wickedness of, and the idolatry and the rebellion of Israel, God made a short work of them and has blinded them till now. Listen to Matthew eleven twenty five, 25. And at that time, Jesus answered, and he said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Now back in our text in verse 29. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of the Sabbath, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. 
it's tickling on my, on my, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> Folks, the doctrine of election seems harsh and cruel to the world, but to a believer, to you and I, it is the cause of rejoicing, is it not? If we don't rejoice over election, then we haven't had the truth of God's word revealed to us. Election is from beginning to end. Everything in God's word has to do with election. He chose. He chose between Abel and Cain. He chose. Yes, Abel came, or Cain came with the works of his hands, but the Lord chose to reject that to ignore that, and to accept the offering, because the offering that Abel brought was a picture of his son, the Lord Jesus. You know, the only reason Abel brought that offering was because the Lord God made a work in his heart. Otherwise, Abel would have done the same thing that, that, Jay, uh, that Cain had done. All of us would. It seems harsh and cruel, election does, but to you and I, it's a cause of rejoicing. For if it had not been God choosing to save some people, either Jew or Gentile, neither of us would escape the wrath to come. We would all have been destroyed as Sodom and Gomorrah was. Now look at verses 30 through 33. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have obtained the righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness have not obtained the law of righteousness. Verse 32, wherefore, because, because thy sought it not by faith. Did you catch that? Because they had sought it not by faith. They thought they were doing everything right, folks. They just didn't believe. They didn't believe the grace of God in everything that the prophets had told them of old. They sought it not by faith, as it were, but by faith the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. What is the result of everything we've discussed in this ninth chapter? Well, number one, it's pointed everything, pointed us to the sovereignty of God. That's going to be my message next hour. All about the sovereignty of God. Every message I stand before you and bring before you has to be about that. God's sovereignty in choosing a people, a people who didn't deserve, a people who are worthy of God's wrath, God's sovereignty in sending his son to be the only propitiation, the only payment, the only atonement, the only righteousness, the only sanctification for God's people, his sovereignty in raising his son from the dead to sit on his throne and, and whom he will, he will intercede for. The conclusion of the whole is this, that those Gentiles who are chosen of God, called by the Spirit and redeemed by Christ, have obtained the righteousness of Christ by faith. Though they did not even seek it, And were abandoned to evil, while Israel, who had all the advantages of the law, all the oracles of, 
all the writings of the old prophets sought acceptance of God, they found it not. Why? Because Israel, as all natural mankind, sought righteousness by the works of their flesh and not by the grace of God, by the deeds of the law and not by faith. Israel stumbled at Jesus Christ and him crucified. They, instead of looking to him who fulfilled all the types and the promises of sacrifices, they rejected him altogether. What they didn't know is they were fulfilling God's uh, purpose even then. Had they understood the prophets, they would have embraced Christ. Therefore, they were offended by his words. They were ashamed of his cross, and they crucified him. And you and I would have been right there with them if it wasn't for the grace of our Savior. Amen? Stand with me if you would.